0: Well, good day. I'm Mark Sylvester, ambassador of 805 Connect, and your host for this 805 conversation, where we talk to fascinating people you'll want to know better. Our show is sponsored by California Lutheran University School of Management and Tolman and Weicker Insurance Services. I want to thank them both for their support and encouragement. And thanks to our podcasting partner, Pullstring Press. I love coming into this great studio. And to Patrick, my co-host. Good day, Patrick.
1: Mark, we're doing good work here.
0: I think we are. This is, we're going into, I think, uh, episode 28 or 29 um, in a pretty short period of time. Very impressive time. The shows have been great. Today's guest is Craig Harris, who's the CEO at HG Data Company. Good day. Thank you. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you guys so much for having me. Well, I want to thank you as well. You stepped up way early in the process over a year ago to become a partner in the 805 Connect project and help us. We're going to get into data, Uh, but uh, it was very important at the time. It continues to be important, so thank you very much. We appreciate the support.
2: Oh, uh, yeah, it was a great project and a great organization to work with. Well, thank you. So what
0: does HG mean? HG Just is the, HG. the Holy Grail. I love that. When I heard that, tell me, tell us about that. Um, well,
2: you know, we we set out to create a company that could take a lot of the world's unstructured, digital, freely available information and, and try to derive methods to extract extraordinary value out of that okay. and. Uh, Of course, there's a a lot of problems that can be solved with data, and uh, we weren't sure which ones to go after, so we started talking with companies, doing what we call market validation to ask them what their problems are and if we might be able to solve some of those problems with data. And we found that the the best way to ask the question was simply, could you explain to us what the holy grail of business intelligence data would be for you?
0: Oh, okay. Got it. And what was your favorite answer uh
2: the favorite answer is um can you tell me um who my next customer will be if i Mm. simply just call them and ask them if they would like to buy my product it's not quite that easy so but uh that would would be be yeah
0: i want one of those Uh yeah (laughs) can you tell me who my next customer will be yes that's a great app that is a holy grail yeah i mean if it was easy then You know, it wouldn't be the holy; it wouldn't be worthy of a quest, right? So, Craig, you've—I want—I'm so fascinated just with you as an individual and what you are doing now. But I kind of want to go back. Part of the fun of this is getting to meet people at a deeper level and have a long conversation. As if we're sitting here having a cup of coffee and our listeners listening in to this. I found out you were a Peace Corps, yeah, in Paraguay. And how old were you? I didn't wasn't able to find that out. How old were you when that happened? So right uh, out of school?
2: Right out of uh right out of college, right out of UC Santa Barbara. Yeah, I was uh, You're a gaucho. I'm a gaucho. Oh yeah. Nice. Yeah, okay. Uh, ninety to
0: ninety five. Nice. Yes. So what what was that conversation that said, oh, that's not Paraguay. I don't even know where that is, and I'm gonna go there. Well, first of all,
2: Peace Corps, um the The inspiration, um, the trigger event that made that's me start what, that's thinking what, yes, about exactly. it was uh, when my parents and uh, financial supporters for my college education sat me down and said, you know, the day you graduate is, uh, you know, you're going to have to get yourself a real job. Right. Um, and I was having a great time and adventuring in, in Santa Barbara, and uh, I wanted to extend that. So um, I... Looked into the Peace Corps, and it looked like a really good alternative to having to grow up and, and start a real job. <laughs> Little did I know uh, what I was getting myself into. It uh, was a real job, and, and then some.
0: You um, you write a lot, and you post on LinkedIn, which I appreciate that I can go and read these things you've written, and they all kind of go back to some lesson you learned while you were in the Peace Corps, and how that lesson is helping you kind of almost on a daily basis with your business two things i want to talk about the two that i I thought were really interesting was how do you attract best talent to the business that's a huge issue here in this region i think it's an issue for everyone uh, anywhere is how you get the best talent and you talked about um the intangibles and we've talked about on this show a lot that it, it's not just the money. It's, it's all of these other things. What was it specifically at that experience that you learned about the value of the intangibles and how it helps you attract talent?
2: You know, I... I, th- I lived in a in a small, very poor village in in the jungles of Paraguay and uh, everybody lived in thatched roof huts and it was a subsistence agriculture community and um, the the greatest lesson and the greatest inspiration I learned was uh, despite how poor everybody was and, and the struggles uh, in their lives um, anytime there was a celebration or a birthday or a, a volleyball game with another village um, the the level of of fun and enjoyment mm. and um, fulfillment that the poorest people on the planet mm. were having mm. was, was absolutely identical to the types of experiences and fulfillment I had growing up in, in somewhat of a, you know, relatively speaking, privileged uh, sure. upbringing. And so um, it really just, for me, drilled down to, um, you know, the human level, um, the, what what is really important. Um, you know, for, for fulfillment and happiness and advancement, and um, and I think there's lessons there that that far transcend that experience that I had in the Peace Corps, and and now that I'm uh, you know run a company, um, you know I try to try to identify those you know those same human characteristics that uh, that make people happy and, and make people want to be part of something and contribute, and, um, and and as you said, Mark, it's it's uh, it's not money. Um, that's important. Uh, of course, it's important. Everybody wants to get compensated, and, and things are nice. And um, but that's not what retains employees, and, and um, you know drives drives the uh, you know the innovation in the workforce. It's it's the
0: intangibles that you place this much importance on it. I think gives you a competitive advantage. There is. As we know, the tech scene in Santa Barbara, and in the region, not just Santa Barbara, I mean, look at Westlake, look at what's happening It's slow. It's exploding right now. I mean, yeah. it's so much so that people are paying attention. For the first time, we've been doing this for a long time, but right. finally people are paying attention. So the competition for the employee is greater than ever, ever before. Yeah, it really How is. How do you, intangible means it's, I mean it's not tantrum I can't put it in print how, how do you communicate that to the prospective employee well
2: first I'll just comment that um, you know right now uh, call it a, a bubble or, or whatever you'd like uh, it is very very competitive for talent especially uh, engineering right. science right. Uh, really really strong skilled experienced salespeople and we're not we're competing not just in the 805 where we are are also competing with Silicon Valley and, and beyond. And yep. um, the joining a startup in early stage company is also very challenging. There's a lot of risk. Typically the compensation is below market. And so you've got all this headwind. And so our differentiator quite frankly is is the culture, is fostering a culture mm. where people are really excited to uh, to come to work and participate. And um, it, it beyond just the culture, uh, it's important that everybody have a sense of ownership. And, and that has both literal uh, and figurative meanings. Um, the company in, in our board and our investors, we do our part on the literal side. Um, every employee at, at our company has stock options, and, and we're known to be generous than more generous than most. Okay. Um, when you instill a sense of literal ownership, then it it uh, it manifests itself in the workplace so that uh, everybody understands and appreciates that a weak link even if it's uh, some you know minor feature on a product it's it's those weak links that yep. can take down a company and so I think it starts by everyone coming to work and feeling like they're an owner and uh, there is no ceiling they control their own destiny. Uh, all of these, uh, and there's a, a big body of language about these intangibles that, that I talk about that uh, rank, typically rank higher uh, than, than compensation, actual compensation.
0: Do you think that that is uh, generational? That that is more important now as the workforce has gotten younger, specifically in technology, than with an older workforce? I, I think
2: it's generational in the sense that uh, for those... For those, we'll say third and fourth year students in college uh, or grad students uh, that have friends that have moved on to a startup. and you're most people are going to have that friend that got really lucky, joined mm, the right mm, startup mm, at the right mm, time, mm. and they went public and mm. uh, made hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars. And so I, I do think that that is uh, that's driving the current generation today. In fact, um, you know occasionally I'm, I'm a guest speaker at, at some entrepreneurship uh, programs uh, at, at local universities and it's amazing how many students will come up to me afterwards and say you know gee my buddies and I were starting a, we're starting a company sure. we want to start a company and so I Maybe it's just the uh, the the environment or the the folks that I'm interacting with is a self selected group of, of entrepreneurs and, and and folks that want to be entrepreneurs. Or maybe it's it's a, a larger trend. I, I can't really speak to that. Uh, and I I'm really impressed with with the generation of, of upcoming entrepreneurs. Because when they talk to me about the companies that they're thinking about starting and the problems they want to solve, they're not talking about how they want to get rich and have an IPO. They, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. What, What's most impressive to me is, is those individuals that have just such a strong passion about a specific problem that that they can solve or or some it, it's the the product itself it's the solution and sure a, a lot of them aren't necessarily great ideas um, uh, not that I'm I'm the best judge but um, you'll hear that many entrepreneurs, they're gonna, they might strike out the first time, might strike out the second time and, and learn how to do it right by, by having some failures. In fact, there are certain venture capital investors that, that will blog about how they, uh, they'll only invest or they prefer to invest in folks that have had a failure
0: um, you know, ahead of time. That's, par- so. that's part of it is um, being an entrepreneur is not for the faint of heart. No it's it's you have to have
2: it in your DNA. It's yeah. it's not for for everyone. And um, when did you notice you had that? Well, I I actually I didn't realize it at the time, but when I was 11 years old, I, I oh. started my first, in hindsight, oh. I can call it a business. Uh,
0: Tell us about that.
2: Well, this is in the 70s. I, was, uh-huh. I grew up in Thousand Oaks, California, huh. and, and the only thing um, we wanted to do during summer vacation was go to the arcade with a pocket full of quarters and yeah. play video games. Yeah. And uh, most of the parents in the neighborhood um, would let us do that once or twice a week. And so at that time, you had. Uh, There were a lot of handheld video games, sort of the the first handheld video games. So uh, I went and talked about 10 or 12 kids on the block that all had a game. And I said, bring them over to my house on a certain date. And I put a jar and told everybody to bring their change, bring their pennies and nickels and dimes and had a jar in front of every game and it was, uh, I think, 10 cents to play a, a game, and it was at my house, and then I, at the end, I took each jar, emptied it out, split it 50-50, and whoever brought the game got half, and since I was the host, um, right. I kept half. So that was when I was I 11. Love it. I love uh, it, I didn't realize until you know maybe 10, 20 years later that, oh, that was my first business. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, the business uh, lasted all of 72 hours, uh, but it was still a Who's,
0: Who crazy. put the kibosh on it?
2: Uh, the market, uh, the marketplace. <laughs> yes, uh,
0: so come to market forces. The owners
2: of the games uh, didn't think that it was such a good deal. Plus, the uh, the product didn't evolve enough after three days of coming to my house and playing the same ten handheld video games.
0: Uh, so, had you invested some of that money in a new player, then you may have uh, right. But it, at eleven, we're not expected uh, to to know that. Yes. So, you, when was your first? So, you came back from the Peace Corps. Did you? Go into business right away.
2: Well, after the Peace Corps, uh, I had a I had a wonderful experience. The village that I was in, uh, my, my job was to uh, educate on on deforestation and slash and burn agriculture, and try mm. to try mm. to teach alternatives. Had you
0: studied that as a gaucho? Uh,
2: no, I was a, a marine biology was was uh, my uh, my field. Uh, the Peace Corps does a great job during three months of intensive training, turning me into a an expert, uh, oh, great. and a, a minimally viable expert
1: <laughs> in sustainable and agriculture. An MVE,
2: and okay. MVB, MVE. There you go. Uh, Immediately after the Peace Corps, I wanted to continue the work that I was doing because it was what I would consider the the postcard experience. The farmers in my village and neighboring villages were really starting to adopt these methodologies. And so uh, I ended up starting a nonprofit organization in Paraguay, uh, a demonstration farm. And and the model, Mm -hmm. quite simply, was um, secure uh, a chunk of land. I was able to get uh, 100 acres donated for, uh, I think it was a 20-year lease. And um, started a, a nonprofit organization to uh, and started to raise money to build out this 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 institution. And um, essentially, what it was is a, a demonstration farm. We would do A B testing. We would have plots of what happens when you use mulch versus right next to it,
0: what happens when you don't use mulch. And um, we would. Where did you get that idea? I'm, I'm just in, I'm interested in A B testing, but how did you? What made you think to do that as a demonstration?
2: Well, the that wasn't unique to to agriculture extension i think what was Unique was the the methodology um, in Paraguay in, in in the rural villages uh, they don't speak Spanish they only speak uh, Guarani the the indigenous language of, of Paraguay and I had observed that um, the Paraguayan government they kept bringing all of these um, you know very talented enge- uh, they called them ingenieros um, engineers that had that had degrees in, in ag business and agriculture and they would go out to the rural villages um, as part of the the agriculture extension And they were speaking in Spanish. They were dressed very nicely speaking in Spanish to a bunch of village farmers that didn't speak Spanish and um, Mm -hmm. were somewhat intimidated by these uh, Mm well-dressed, educated folks. And, um, And what really appealed to the farmers was when their neighbors would would have success with something and then go talk to a neighbor mm-hmm. in their native tongue in Guarani. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so it was this farmer to farmer methodology. Mm. We, we certainly didn't uh, invent that, but um, it was uh, one of the first examples of that in Paraguay. And so uh, created this farm, uh, ended up raising a, a million dollars, uh, uh, our, the very first grant proposal I ever wrote, um, in hindsight, I realized it's just luck. Uh, <laughs> we got a million dollars from the, uh, the Schmidt and Heine Foundation, uh, uh, in Europe and that enabled us to build classrooms and, um, create an infrastructure so we could start busing farmers in from all over wow. Paraguay wow. who would then be trained by other village farmers. And so, um, that, that kept me busy for about a year and a half. And, was you did varies. all of that in a year and a half. Well, I... I got everything started. It turned out I spent more time on fundraising than anything else.
0: Don't we all? Uh,
2: and then there was another. Uh, every you know every six months, the Peace Corps is graduate. Yeah, there's a group of volunteers that are finishing their service, and so there was another volunteer that took over from me and became the uh, executive director of, of SEPA. Was the name of the organization? And does it still exist? Uh, it still exists. It's it's wow. had some pivots, but it's still used as a training center. Wow. Um, there's still Peace Corps volu- There's now Peace Corps volunteers that are signed. There's dormitories. Wow there oh, oh. and it's become, it's, it's really moved more towards a, um, agriculture, uh, organization for women, uh, to empower and inspire women to take nice. more leadership roles and start cottage nice. businesses, um, with, with the crops that they grow.
0: I, I, I love backstories and I love that thing that, that motivates us. I want to go back to something you said early on. You said you do unstructured data and at the time I didn't stop we play something called buzzword bingo on the show. Okay. <laughs> and I don't know that our listener or listener may have gotten derailed at the time trying to think of what that is. They may have even hit the pause button and googled unstructured data. Which so, we always encourage here. I, absolutely. And what is unstructured data? And you but you said that's freely available. So what is that? Sure. So
2: our world at HG, and of course the world for, for all of us, is, is becoming a digital world. Yep. Uh, we're surrounded by, yep. by digital everything. And so uh, let me start with what, what I'll define as structured data. Structured data would be like a spreadsheet, an Excel spreadsheet that has columns and rows, and you can do queries and you can find things very easily. It's a a collection of facts, if you will, that are structured in columns and rows. A semi-structured data might be a spreadsheet where there's a couple of fields that have specific numbers or words or facts, and then there might be a field that has a paragraph pasted Mm. into Mm. it, and so we would call that semi-structured data. Sure. Unstructured data is something like a news article or a blog post or a web page, um, sentences, paragraphs, pages of, of content, of information, where unlike a spreadsheet, you can't sort it, you can't filter it, you can't query it. And so what happens is it becomes very difficult to To make unstructured data what we call machine readable, hmm. and so that's what so that's what you guys do. That's what we do. We uh, we're we're busy transforming the world's unstructured data into One a machine a readable format hmm. to empower um, n- a number of developers to build really cool and innovative products uh, with our data.
1: Is that exactly like you understanding that there was a struggle between uh, what Paraguay's government was sending out with the with the, the farmers in suits versus uh, you know people who, who couldn't respond to that? And that's that same thing of that you've got now unstructured data that literally can't be processed. So you're you're building this bridge that then can be communicated with.
2: Yeah, we, we are. I mean, that's an interesting parallel. I haven't hadn't thought of that before. Um, yeah, I, I can certainly draw parallels there. The What's exciting for us with this notion of unstructured data is that once you can transform it so that you can distill insights and facts right. out of it right. in ways right. that you never could before, what it does is it opens up um, the ability to solve a number of problems that, that up to
0: this point haven't been solvable. So we love stories here. So give me the story of how someone's holy grail became achievable through your ability to structure their unstructured data so there's a a very large healthcare
2: organization uh, that has, it's, it's a, a, a non-profit organization, it's a medical society, it has 50,000 members. It, it's so large that their annual conference can only be held in two cities in America and one of the things that, that this organization does is they they have a call center and they make uh, I don't know how many tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of calls every year and they're calling uh, health systems, hospitals, and medical providers. Uh, and 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 they're asking them hundreds and hundreds of different questions. Um, questions such as what types of IT are you using in your hospital where are you in the process of digital transformation of health records from from hard copies to digital um, what types of procedures do you offer how many procedures do you offer how many doctors do you have and so on they're taking a census uh, and a snapshot of what's happening in the health in mm-hmm. in the healthcare mm-hmm. world domestically 20 2,000 health systems, 5,000 hospitals, and several hundred thousand ambulatory care providers. And what happens in trying to use a call center to do this? Uh, it's it's very expensive. It's not scalable. There's what we call veracity in the answers. Sometimes you you're you're not sure if the infor- information you're getting on a phone call is is correct. And so what we were able to do, and what we're doing now, is we have found. Um, Massive amounts of unstructured information, for example, hospital websites and and blog posts and other forms of digital media that are freely available to anyone that that can get onto the internet. And and so what we've done is crawled uh, hundreds of millions of do, of documents, as we like to call them, really and pages, and we ask the same questions that they ask. In the call center, we develop algorithms, natural language algorithms. And and ostensibly, we're asking the same questions algorithmically against a a body of of hundreds of millions of of digital documents. And what we found is, and and the reason why we've now partnered with them uh, on a multi-year deal, is that we can help this organization um, repurpose the individuals in their call center to right. go work on right. areas that that further uh, fulfill the mission of this organization, and we can essentially rip and replace this manual data collection with an automated data feed using you know advanced techniques, and and we save them a ton of money, and we get paid properly for it, and and it really is a, a win win, and the most exciting thing though is the end result. The, there's more information, more insight, more data that can be used um, by healthcare organizations, uh, by legislators,
0: um, by by
2: pharma companies, uh, et cetera.
0: So, as a nonprofit, what they want to do is be able to provide this information back to decision makers at at whatever level in the private sector, public sector, and you're giving them the veracity of the information is better. Because you've actually gone exponentially more sources than the amount of people they could ever call in a lifetime. Yeah, technically, I would say there's less veracity uh, in the data. Um, veracity is
2: actually a bad thing. Um, oh, I don't like veracity. Um, yes, we don't, we don't like veracity. Um, but it, it definitely uh, it, it keeps, us, uh, uh, it keeps things exciting
0: for us. So the what was that? What was that Holy Grail question with that person? What was that? They said, "God, if we could only do this." I think the
2: Holy Grail uh, for an organization like that would be, "Wow, if we, if the Holy Grail for us would be to have all the information that we pay a lot of money manually to build, to have it at a fraction of the cost, right? To have it be scaled, have there be more of it at a fraction mm-hmm. of the cost." The quality be deeper and, oh, by the way, we'd love to do this worldwide. We'd love mm, to mm, um, mm. find the same information in 150 countries, not just the United right. States. And, and so that's the, the holy grail that we're attempting to deliver.
0: So I love data. I mean, that's why we get along, we get along great. So I love <laughs> data. And I, I'm interested in audience data and, and specifically around people and personality and aspirations and those kind of things. I found a real challenge with clients that you, you've got a pile of data and now we, we put it in some way that they can make some sense out of it. Mm-hmm. But the interpretation of it and actually, so interpretation is a, is a huge piece yes. that I found, like I'll go to clients and say, look here, here's your audience here and, and I give them a hundred different things and they're like, oh, that's interesting. And I don't, they're not really able to connect the dots to say, oh, well now that we know this, we can do that. We can drive some new initiative. What if you, and I'm, I'm gonna guess you've got something similar to that, what have what you learned that helps them analyze that and actually do something with it, make it actionable?
2: Well, I'll tell you, uh, we have the same challenge um, that that you just described. Um, let me just back up a little bit and, and sort of describe the sort of the, the the state of affairs as as we sort of see it today. The last the last several years, probably five seven years, has been a very exciting time for this this concept of big data. Right, right, right. Um, not to go into a deep technical discourse on that, but what's happened is that. Um, hardware and storage and processing has gone. Uh, the the cost of, of storage Fractional. and processing is is going down yeah. um, by the day, and so that's enabled companies like Amazon with their product called Amazon Web Services yep. and all of the, all yep. of these big clouds and the iClouds yep. of the world to offer up um, scaled storage and processing at a fraction of the cost, yep. and so. The last five years, five, maybe seven years, uh, there has been a really exciting time for what, what I'll call the underlying architecture infrastructure for big data. Most of the companies that have been funded for the uh, and, and received huge funding and had IPOs, really what what they've been doing for the last half a decade is building out a system of tools, the, t- the databases to store the data, the right. engines to process it. and and now today, uh, what's happened is okay. There's all these tools out there. Companies yep. can now yep. store uh, massive amounts of data at a fraction of the cost. And what's happening today is that companies like ours, like HG Data, are coming in and saying, "Okay, now everybody's storing all this information. Now it's time to start solving some real problems." Yeah, yeah, yeah. And one of the biggest challenges is people don't know the, which questions to ask. And mm. so we very often, you know, we find that this is really an, a new category. And so. How's that? Uh, well, CIOs and, and, and right. CMOs. So, and so people, so a CIO is a chief information officer. A chief officer. information officer and a, and a chief marketing officer. Okay. Um, and, and beyond, so it's a new category. They, um, everybody, big data. Everyone's talking about big sure. data, and everybody wants to figure out how to use big data. And, and they now have it stored and processed. And when we talk with clients, usually one of the first questions they ask us is, "Hey, our peers out there, how are? They, what questions are they asking? Mm. See, very often mm. our customers." They know they need to ask important questions because they know <laughs> that we can help them solve problems that right. they dreamt about. But right. once once you make it real for them, they um, they they're, they're somewhat. Uh, somewhat intimidated by the fact that they don't know which questions to ask. They don't necessarily know how to use big data right. to whether it's uh, drive their branding, drive their marketing, drive their sales, drive their retention, drive their, their R and D. And so very often we, we feel like we, we are a, um, a teller of stories and, and we, how, how okay how we share that? anecdotes about other companies that we've worked with uh, and that we've heard about and, uh the problems they're trying to solve, how they go about that problem, and oh, by the way, HG has one
0: small uh, but important role in that, and, and we see if we can help. I love, having been in software since I was a chef and being in software, sitting at the center of a ton of very diverse clients who are using, the thing they have in common is your tool. But everything else is different, yeah. and being able to see if you have a great relationship with your clients, seeing how they solve the problem, and then to your point, going and using that in a completely different domain and saying, "Oh, this is how the teachers are connecting, and they did all this," and you take that to an advertising agency, and it never would have gotten there if they weren't you weren't there to bridge that gap for them. Right. And but I will say that there's um, there's a second
2: part of this too. It's, it's one thing to deploy. What big data approaches to to better understand your customers and, and better target and better market? Yep. Uh, it's another thing to be able to measure it and see if it's successful or not, and that is to this day one mm. of one of the challenging uh, areas in terms of big data. It, let's say, for example, in in how it's used for marketing. Is, Seems to be the biggest thing. Is that yeah? Fair it is. To say? Well, it's the, it's the thing that's most tangible. It's the thing where there's budget dollars available right now. So companies God. like ours, we tend to be attracted to folks that understand they have a problem. Mm-hmm. They have a budget mm-hmm. to solve mm-hmm. that problem. Mm-hmm. And the conversation is more about, hey, is this the solution? We think this is the solution. What do you think? As opposed to having to go and convince people that they have a problem. And then even once you convince them that they have this problem, they might not
0: have the budget to solve the problem. Right. And, right. You know. So back to measurement as a big challenge, What what's the where is the innovation around measurement? What should we be looking for? What are the, where are the
2: wins? Well, let me, I'll tell you what, let me use a a local example. Uh, There's a a company uh, here in in Santa Barbara called Invoca. And I think these guys um, sort of embody Um, you know, what you're talking about right now, which is, you know, the measurement. And and so what Invoca has done uh, for those in in sort of the marketing world and those that have websites that buy Google AdWords and Mm -hmm, and so on mm -hmm. and so forth, there's phenomenal tools that have existed for a long time via Google and others that enable you, if you're going to spend $1,000 $1,000 uh, to advertise on with, with pop-up ads on, on various websites to understand how many people are viewing those, how many people are clicking those. And if they come through to your website and buy your product, then you can understand how much they paid. And you can compare, oh, I paid $1,000 uh, for display advertising on, on on websites and I made $1,500. I think this is working. I'm, I want to do more of that. Yep. Let me quadruple yep. it. Um What happens in this day and age with with all of us with our cell phones is that so much business is driven by a phone call. And so think about it, from ordering a pizza to calling up a life insurance company to ask for a quote. And so what happens is companies, they might have billboards and digital advertisements and, and radio advertisements and it's really hard to measure when somebody picks up the phone and calls to buy something. And so what Invoca has done in this example is they've, they are a big data company in their own right because they work with companies that are receiving maybe hundreds of thousands or millions or tens of millions of phone calls a year, and they help these companies identify uh, what their ROI is, based off the the phone call business that comes through because it's not always somebody clicking on a website and, and mm-hmm, purchasing the mm-hmm. buy button. So for example, and, and I don't know if they actually do this, but my understanding is that uh, if you're a pizza company and you you pay to have a, uh, your phone number and your logo on the back of a bus and somebody calls that phone number to order a pizza, um, and what the problem that Invoca solves is they will have that phone number tied to that bus right. tied to your software your analytics so that you can see maybe you're doing this on 100 bus lines in 100 cities and you can see which of those phone numbers on which buses on which lines are actually delivering More good pizza. ROI and so exactly it's it's funny to talk about the the level of innovation that Invoca and all their engineers and scientists have, have come up with and really it's so that you can understand when those phone calls are making you money so how do you fit in with invoca well within with someone like invoca i think we would view them as you know for us it's a potential customer because they want to understand they might want to know for example um, which companies in america have call centers because companies Mm -hmm. that have Mm -hmm. large Mm -hmm. call centers Mm -hmm. uh, that denotes a large call volume. And they might want to know which companies have call centers, which of those call centers are inbound call centers as opposed to outbound, and which of those call centers are, are um, trying to sell a product when somebody calls the call center. And that's where someone like HG comes in. That That's what we do. Is we, we're looking at millions of companies worldwide, and, and we can develop algorithms that can say, build me a list of companies, say, in the United States that have call centers with more than 100 agents answering phones. And so How long does it take to, uh, to great? You have what fifty data scientists or something? We've not quite fifty. We've got a lot, but um, so for something like that, it, it would take us maybe two minutes to to set up the query, and that's the, the human part uh, figuring out which question we should ask. Right, and then it takes you know a, some fraction of a second to to build out that list, and uh, maybe a couple of minutes to shoot it off in an email. Wow, what's the holy grail for you the well i'll answer that from the uh the lens of my day job as a ceo because i'm my other job is i'm a father and a husband so um, sure. that that's the more it's all the part same of the job, answer anyway, is it's about all the, the same job the family but uh um so the holy grail for me i think it it, it takes a few forms um number one um I want us to be very successful as a company because that means that all of our employees that are so dedicated and working below market wages, who all have stock options, um, it would be really fulfilling for me and, and everyone involved with the organization for um, for everyone who's working so hard and building these these amazing tools we're creating to um, to be able to share in the upside. So that's in um, the investors, the uh, the venture capital investors, which. By the way, represent pension funds. Sure. Um, I mean, you know, it's pension fund money that money that has funded us, and so um, you know, there's a real drive by my entire team to deliver a win. Um, the way we do that is by solving very significant problems for the industry for
0: industry. And so, I and think that's it's- what I'm curious: is what what is that that one? Is, God, if we could just solve that one problem. What what do you think is that one that unlock? I mean. Maybe I'm getting into into the competitive area, but... You're hitting it on the head. The holy grail
2: for me is to be able to to continue to scale this business, um, have the financial success uh, that we're looking for while solving problems that make the world a better place. Today, a lot of our focus is helping large, profitable companies become even more large and more profitable. And, and that's important in, in many, many ways. Um, we see some really exciting opportunities for us with healthcare and, and, and mm. using healthcare mm. data, mm. Uh, really exciting opportunities with energy, with transportation, with manufacturing, with mining. And so I, I think for us, or for me, the holy grail is building a, a massively successful, exciting company that is,
0: is helping to solve world's problem problems you are committed to santa barbara because we we've talked about you know you were you were downtown and then you've you've got a a great place down uh in the funk zone all right you're on the fringe of the funk zone i'm not sure and then i've just heard they've rebranded haley as uh, the lagoon
1: no yes
0: (laughs) we'll see if that sticks uh (laughs) wait
1: like like uh, well
0: i'm not really sure where that comes from but but these little micro areas are springing up. What is it about this region that, because there's a lot of challenges, but you're here, you're committed, your people are moving their families here and all of that. What What is it about the region that, that makes it the place you want to grow this business?
2: Well, most of our employees, we've got uh, today about 50 employees, um, most of whom are based in Santa Barbara. Um, these are folks that for the most part, they're committed to Santa Barbara. This is where they've been raised. This is where they're raising their kids. It's a, a, a wonderful community. And so I, I think we have people that they're staying here, whether whether their company stays here or not, they're staying here. Right. And so we I think we appealed to that demographic, number one. Um, number two... The it, it is a really great place to start a, a company, a, a startup, and, and specifically a, a technology company. We've got UC Santa Barbara yep. and Cal Poly. Yep. Uh, every year, um, mathematicians, statisticians, engineers are graduating, and, and many of these these wonderful students want to stay in Santa Barbara because they fell in love with the place. So there's a really good talent pool here, and there's also a really strong sort of underground investment community. It's, it's much... Um, mm. uh, it, more on the angel side, we've got some um, some really, really impressive uh, angel investor networks in Santa Barbara, both formal and informal, uh, as well as a couple of uh, venture capital organizations such as uh, RingCon Venture sure. Partners, which has um, incubated just so many companies they in, sure in this town, including ours. They're, yep. they're just a wonderful investor for us. So I think there's the intersection of talent uh, plus funding. Uh, a, a phenomenal place to raise a family. Great schools. Uh, our our office is uh, two blocks from the beach, maybe a block yep. and a half. It's yep. a, a six minute walk to the sand. Yeah, <laughs> and um, and I also find it, it's interesting how many of our employees that were based in the Bay Area um, have have been willing and have actually followed through and moved here, mm. you know, families and all, and. Uh, If you've spent time up in San Francisco and in the peninsula lately, um, it's... uh Still, the, the center of the universe for all things startup and tech, but it takes uh, the, the traffic is, is unbelievable. It's the housing crushing. is ridiculous. Um, yeah. These these areas like uh, Soma in San Francisco, uh, you know, a third of the real estate is now occupied by startups and VCs, and yep. the rents have gone through the roof. And yeah. so, you know, it's that's who we appeal to when we're trying to recruit people from from the Bay Area. Um, that's that's part of our messaging is you know, hey, are you sick and tired of sitting in traffic? Mm-hmm. And not mm-hmm. being able to find a place to rent, mm. um, come check out Santa Barbara. Not like it's easy to find a place to rent or buy here, <laughs> right. but what, the traffic what is it? problem isn't there. Right.
0: That's interesting. We we you know we're thinking about this week. We wrote in the uh, the eight hundred five newsletter about this Washington Post report that came out that said based on natural amenities, this area is literally the best place to live in in the United States out of you know thirty one hundred counties. Uh, yet, it's really challenging to run a business here. The When you're raising venture money, they'll say, no, we want you to move up to the Bay Area because there's more talent up there. Right. Do, you, do you see that changing a bit? I mean, you're in those kind I of conversations. I see that changing right now, actually.
2: Um, I talk with venture capital investors all the time. Um, and there's, there's a trend that I see happening right now, which is mm. San Francisco, more than anything, has become so uh, overgrown with startups and investors. And what happens is when there's a really great company, like a startup tech company, say in San Francisco, uh th- there might be 10, 20, 30, 40 venture capital investors trying to to win, you know, for them winning the lotteries being invited to invest in these companies. It's so competitive. So what I've seen happening over the last couple of years is this trend for certain VC firms and private equity firms to say, you know, let's go find some of these technology and startup hubs that are somewhat underserved by the uh, right. venture capital community right. because right. there's less competition for the deals. And and so our phone and, and many other companies in town are ringing off the hook from investors mm. that are looking at... it. And it used to be Austin... And, um, right. and right. maybe Boulder. Right. And now you'll there, there's a ton of VCs in both Austin and Boulder, and so uh, Santa Barbara
0: is is one of these emerging tech and startup sure hubs. Is. And that you know I, I'm always I'm always thinking regionally. There's SB startups or 805 startups, and that's a huge effort down in Westlake where they you know their last meeting that over 250 people there. Um, there was kind of shocked everybody looked around and went, there's a lot of people here. What, what's going on? And we're seeing, we're seeing, I'm, I'm in this unique position to be able to see it happening everywhere, right? In, in San Luis Obispo for sure. We're seeing all of this kind of thing. So I think the word is out. I think to your point, they're fishing the fringes, right? To come and find guys like you. And there's, there's, there's so many guys like you and art where we've got a small part in that as well that um there's a special edition called the techtopia which is coming out from the santa barbara independent and they said you know there's so much going on there hasn't been a collective effort to put it all in one book and so they're doing that in november uh which will be interesting because there'll be some shelf life on that to kind of take an audit of the area uh to and i think everyone my prediction is everybody's gonna go huh I, I didn't realize. I kind of had an inkling. But unless you're living and breathing it like we are, you don't really know. So I think okay. the general populace is going to learn about that. Uh,
2: I do just need to give some props that, uh, to the companies that paved the way for for folks like like HG Data. Uh, you take in, in in San Luis Obispo, MindBody, who oh, just gosh, had their yes. IPO. Yeah, yeah. Uh, here in Santa Barbara, AppFolio yep. just had their IPO. Yep. Uh, a couple companies that are just... Killing it right now in such a good way. Uh, you've got Procore yeah, construction just Procore. software yep. Yep. just um, growing uh, unbelievably. You've got uh, Invoca, same thing. Yep. Uh, you've got Sonos uh, yep. with you know hundreds of employees, just probably you know nearing a billion dollars in sales or exactly. you know close to it. And so we've got we've got a ha- and then there's there's dozens of other smaller companies maybe in the five to twenty million annual revenue range. And so um, a company like mine is is the beneficiary of, of the entrepreneurs that decided to stick it out, build their companies in the 805, and and I think that they're they're um, making a wonderful gift to uh, to the rest of us that are trying to follow in their wake. Those pioneers that have paved the way. Yes. Yeah. And, and, uh,
0: so we can raise our families, and you might sir? be one of those guys going back uh, if we go back far enough. Uh, you were one. Of, you were one of them. Yeah, I was the poster boy for technology back in the day. We had pretty pictures to show. We could show, you know, we had that demo reel, the sizzle reel that was great, and everybody loved that. And being a part of the community, being located right downtown where Sonus is now, made a huge difference. And and it was at that point I learned what the role of our company was in the community, yeah. and being a part of the community. And, and ironically, what comes around goes around. And now I'm I'm back doing a community role here with 805 Connect. Last last question uh i've got so much to talk about but i want to leave it with this i found when i was looking into more information about you and i looked on linkedin i noticed that you had written a lot and it wasn't a blog on a blog on your company it was these were essays really long form thoughtful pieces that you'd written a lot of ceos don't take the time to do that and i it's really important, especially if you want to establish thought leadership. Have you always liked to write?
2: I've always enjoyed writing. I've always been very slow at it. So it's, it's a lot of work because I, I over, over-engineer my words. But I think the reason why I'm compelled to do that, and by the way, I, we've got a great Staff at, at HG Data that helps with editing in a major way. So they, uh, I cannot take all the credit for you know for for the pros. But um, you know, if you look at the themes of what I'm writing about, um, you know, a lot of it centers around culture, uh, culture of our community, culture of the company. Uh, A lot of it centers around lessons that I learned in the Peace Corps, business lessons that I learned in the Peace Corps, which I also think speaks to the culture um, about the humans, right? The humans are always more important than than the code. um, So, you know, for me, really, these are... If you if you call them essays, um, it, they're really more um, number one recruiting vehicles. I mean, we mm, want people mm, to understand mm. who we are, and, and 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 I'm just the voice. I mean, this isn't just me. This is our company's culture. So this is really reaching out and trying to appeal to people uh, to come work for us, um, as well as essays um, to the com- you know, to to the family at, at HG Data, um, and then I guess on a personal level. Um, you know, they're reminders to myself of of the ideals and the values that I have and reminders to to always, uh, you know, live by those. And um, so I find it to be a, a very positive sort of, um, you know, opening process for me to, uh, to write. So you'll write more and you would encourage CEOs to write? Uh, yeah, I would encourage CEOs to write. I, I think you also got to be careful not to spend too much time on it. I mean, you know. Um, you know, for me, maybe once a month uh, sure. is about all I, I sure. can afford because there's so many other things
0: that uh, You're busy yeah, changing the world. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm busy.
2: Uh, one little teeny small part of it. So,
0: Well, thank you so much. One, one of the things we'd like to offer is uh, we'll give you the podcast that you can use and, and use as part of your recruiting. I think for someone who's thinking of coming to work with you, being able to listen to the CEO talk as thoughtfully and as heartfelt as you have about your business and and all of that is going to give them an even bigger sense of why they would want to come work for you. So we'd, yeah. we'd love to do that. And absolutely, uh, it'll be on our website, it'll be on our blog, it'll be LinkedIn,
2: Facebook, <laughs> tweeted, you name it. Uh, oh
0: jeez. Well, thank you. Well, I want to just thank you so much for your for your support. It was it, it, Patrick was interesting when we met. It was about eleven minutes into me talking about what eight hundred five connect was, and Craig says, "I'm in." <laughs> I was like right well, just I don't have to he said no no I'm in and and i didn't i never forgot this because you said you eighty know, percent of it is that um I want people to know that we care about the community right and that was and and then nineteen percent of it it was <laughs> uh we want you know, we're hiring, we're, we're growing, we're a startup. We want people to know who we are. And, and there's that he says, but 1% is I want to work with you. Cause this might be just the biggest darn idea. So thank you for that. I'm a one percenter. And so if there's 1% chance, that's enough for me to hang on. So thank you. I, I've kept those words in my head. So well, the journey's just started. It's a, it's an exciting journey that, uh, that you're on and and we're thrilled to support it and be a part of it. Oh, we appreciate that so much. So how do people find you if they want to learn more about this? Where's your website at? Uh, hgdata.com. Just remember Holy Grail, right? The Holy Grail of data. I love that. Yeah, I love that. And I, every time I go there, the website's a little bit different. So it doesn't, it's not, you're kind of always working on that. I, I I appreciate that. Yeah, That's... well,
2: the, uh, my favorite part of the website is the careers page. We now have photos from all of our company
0: events uh, oh. uh, rotating on our careers page. So oh, nice. Uh, so well, someone who's looking, who's thinking about... Maybe they're what we call a passive seeker, so they're maybe not really looking for a job. Go check out that careers page. Yeah. And if uh, they don't like wonderful people, wonderful
2: food, hanging out on the beach, and maybe the occasional you know keg party, then you um, might not work. be the place for them. Exactly. Well,
0: <laughs> thank you very much. Now, one of the things we do on the show is uh, the power of the subject line of this podcast will can propel it into the stratosphere. So how you name it, is really critically important. So you get first dibs on naming our episode. Is this something that I that I do in We're going to do this right now, <laughs> right now. We're going to figure it out. And we, you know what? We always do. We always have 28, 29 episodes. We've figured it out. What do you tell people you guys do? Oh, is this about HG? Yes, yeah, this this, well, HG9? we'll figure, we'll find something here. Well,
2: I mean, I mean I think it can be less about HG. I, I think the first thing that comes to mind is um, some of the greatest business lessons
0: come from the most mundane places. There you go. I will find a title in that because I completely agree with you. and. I love the fact that 11 years old, you were figuring out how to monetize the Game Boy. (laughs) And uh, that was fantastic. And the business was only 72 hours, and you hadn't figured out how to pivot. But that's okay. Uh, (laughs) So the 11-year-olds that are listening, uh, we thank you so much. So thanks again to California Lutheran University School of Management and Tolman & Weicker Insurance Services. Their support and our podcasting partner, PullString Press, love working here, and Cielo 24, another Santa Barbara company who provides the searchable captions for our show. The 805 project is supported by partners and sponsors throughout the region. We want to thank them as well. More information is at 805connect.com. Look for the partners link right next to the podcast link at the top of the page. And speaking of the podcast, Patrick, how can our listener help us?
1: Well, I know that everybody in their head right now who's ever listened to this podcast before just answered that question for you, but I will do it again as well. Thank you. Um, go into any of the podcast uh, applications that you've been listening to this podcast on and uh, fill out uh, that little review. Let us know what you think of the uh, of this space in your head that you've been listening to. And then uh, also uh, email it to a friend. Uh, there are people out there who have not yet heard the 805. Five conversations and they definitely need to. Uh, and then lastly, as always, uh, it's very important that you think about this and, uh, or don't think about it and just do it. Uh, call your mothers because they miss you terribly.
0: I would love to call my mom. Yeah. I'd also love to hear from you. Um, so if it's uh, too much to go and do what Patrick just said, you can open up your mail right now And send me a little note. Tell me what you thought about the show. Tell me someone interesting who has inspired you, uh, who you think would be a great listen, a great conversation to share. Uh, Send me mail to podcast at 805connect.com. And I uh, I love that. I love reading uh, what you have to say. Thank you so much. So until next time, this is Mark Sylvester, your host for 805 Conversations.